Today on the Topping Show, California increasing gas tax, Parkland police officer found not guilty for not protecting the kids during a massacre, Porsche rethinking killing their most important product to adopt EVs, Senators propose tariffs to take on fentanyl, Gerardo Rivera quits Fox News, Walgreens to shut down 450 stores, Elon Musk enacts Twitter limits, Tesla exceeds Larry's expectations, Elon Musk's friends Mario Naval apparently is buying Twitter bots, and Sirius XM is going to kill and shut down the Stitcher app. All that and much, much more on The Topic Show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topic Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see the founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Walgreens set to foreclose 450 brick-and-mortar stores. Now, this is a breakdown for you between the United States as well as the United Kingdom. Now, the U.S. is set to close about 150 stores while they're looking to close 300 stores in the United Kingdom. Now, this is both according to their CFO, James Cog during their Q3 investor call. Of course, when we talk about all these store closings, increases in revenues, profits, yada, 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 you always want to ask people, actually, perhaps the most important question every time someone gives you a statistic, whether it be political, business, what have you, or sports, balls, teams, you always have to, always have to ask yourself, what is the sample size? Now, in this particular case, it sounds like it's a big deal. They're closing about 450 stores, which it is sad, and hopefully those employees are able to find gainful employment at other local retailers. Now, think of the larger scope. They have 9,000 Walgreens locations in the United States alone. Now, they do also note that about 1,100 of the stores are open for reduced hours, which if you're a CFO, you're already thinking, okay, they're they're not as profitable for the other hours of the day. They can only keep them open a couple hours, but even when they're not open, you have to pay for AC, electricity, heating, cooling, internet, what have you. How long will that be a viable option for those 1100 stores? Time shall tell. Now the company also has recently gone through a quote, organizational restructuring, which sounds fancy, but it really means they're just cutting some of the fat. Now. They recently eliminated about 500 employees from the corporate office, which equated to about five, actually no, just 10% of the corporate workforce, which isn't too surprising or unique to Walgreens. You're seeing this across many companies. Thanks to Elon Musk getting rid of a majority of the fat from Twitter. And a lot of the other tech companies that kind of gave the green light to many companies to say, we can cut out a lot of these middle management where more often than not, they're just increased bureaucracy overhead and don't add much value. I know there are a couple of good managers out there. I've had a couple of exceptional managers in my career, but if you're not very careful as a company grows, usually they just become some dead weight, some might say. So this should help strengthen Walgreens' long-term position and time shall tell to see how many total stores they need to close as the economy continues to evolve with more and more people just shopping online and delivery systems, all those types of things. Now, going on to the automotive part of the business podcast today, we have Porsche reconsidering killing their best product line to adopt an EV SUV. Now, throughout the years, I've gained more and more appreciation for German engineering and Porsche. They are the only, the only sports car company dedicated to having three pedals. 
also known as having a stick shift where you manually select the gears. It is one of the most exhilarating experiences anyone can experience. I highly recommend it. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. And before everyone in the comments says, oh, it's not as fast as a Tesla, it's not as fast. Well, yes, it's been that way since about the 80s or the 90s. If you want the fastest car in the world, well, with the exception of the final Dodge Challenger, more often than not, it's going to be a computer. But as a wise man once said, if I'm having a grilled, if I'm having a good steak or hamburger, I'd rather have it on a good old grill as opposed to a microwave. That's that's a good analogy for driving stick. And Porsche, I especially respect them because when they first debuted the automatic transmission that was faster than someone manually shifting the gears, Porsche thought. We're all about giving our customers the best speed. This is what our customers are going to want. We're going to drop the manual transmission. The amount of backlash from the customer base was so visceral and so strong. Porsche heard and more importantly listened to their customers. They said, realize there's a strong demand for the stick shift. We will always make a stick shift for our vehicles. And that's actually thanks in part to North America sales. North America sales are a huge percentage of Porsches with stick shifts. There are a couple things the U.S. just does right, and that demand is clear. So that being said, Porsche is a great automotive company, doing a lot of fascinating things. Ferdinand and Porsche, I'm more and more fascinated and admired of him. Now, the company recently claimed they're going to kill the internal combustion engine on the Macan, their crossover SUV thingamajig. And they were going to kill it in 2025, 2026, and replace it with an EV SUV. Which, meh, no. I would say not prudent business decision. Now, this is especially foolish when you consider the importance of that vehicle to Porsche. And a lot of the purists, when the Cayenne, or is it the Cayman? No, no, the Cayenne, the SUV. The Cayman is there. The 911 is the one everyone, many people want. The Cayman is the more economical one. There's a little engine differences, but I digress. Now, a lot of people thought when they first debuted the first SUV, they're going to destroy the brand because they were taking away from the purest 911 sports car experience, they're going to SUV, but the brand also realized they're losing customers as they had kids, they moved on different parts of their life and they needed a crossover SUV. I would argue you could easily fit in the baby somewhere in the Porsche. They have a frunk as well as a little area on the back. Love finds a way, some might say. But nevertheless, they invented the SUV for the, and it turned out to actually be one of the most important and profitable things for the company. And I would argue it allows them the profit so they can continue to, continue to make these awesome sports cars like the Porsche 911 GT3 RS. You have great vehicles. Now, currently, the Macan accounts for one-third of Porsche USA sales. That one single SUV is 33% of their sales. That is astronomical. And keep in mind, currently, that's an internal combustion engine, which... I would argue every Porsche should be. The best Porsche in history is a Carrera GT. It's a V10 with a stick shift. That's the only option you got. You had to, if you want it, go somewhere else. We want enthusiasts to drive vehicles, but I digress for now. Now, this is coming back from the feedback that Porsche heard from their North America dealer system as well as their customers. When you still have a lot of customers these days who are concerned about the anxiety of having a lack of a range with EV vehicles, which is slowly becoming less of an issue as technology evolves, the range is increasing. The other issue that they're also concerned about is the number of charging stations throughout the United States. They have not acquiesced to the Tesla charging network yet, I don't believe. They're one of a handful of companies holding out against that standard of the plug and the charging. 
time shall tell, but I'm pretty sure they'll probably adopt it just because right now every company is, and there's a lot of volume of locations for the Tesla units. But those are the main reasons that instead of going all in on the EVs, they are now in more of a quote, mm, wait and see approach, which I think is a much more prudent business decision for Porsche in particular. You try to compare them to other automotive companies like Tesla from the ground up or an EV company. Just to troll people, I think it'd be hilarious if Elon was to come out with a V12 internal combustion engine with a stick shift just to blow people's mind. But if you look at the transformation of Porsche, an SUV is much, much different than the electric car that they have, that is the Taycan, where SUVs, the, one of the biggest concerns is the lack of range because the heavier the vehicle, the bigger the batteries, bigger the batteries, the less range. So that's why, in my opinion, you're not seeing um, that big push right now you have the Tesla, which they have their own proprietary tech, which is amazing. But in terms of Porsche's long-term plan, I think it's probably best, especially when it's one of the most important vehicles you sell, maybe not push so hard to completely destroy it. Maybe, I know Volkswagen in particular, you have these, uh, their parent company, but a lot of these companies are actually having dual production where they'll have the internal combustion model of the same SUV, and then they'll also have the EV model of the SUV that's a little bit more known as hedging your bets when it comes to all these variables and part of me thinks that people who are buying porsches would traditionally want to hear the beautiful sound of an internal combustion engine but i digress time shall tell to see how they continue to evolve their product line and hopefully they'll keep making a 911 with a stick shift forever time shall tell now other interesting businesses you have elon musk enacting a twitter limit now these restrictions and this is a very fluid situation he changes it seemingly every 12 hours but with the data we have right now which might be obsolete by the time this is published in minutes but nevertheless right now the restrictions are set at which if you have a verified account you can view 8,000 posts per day which again sounds plenty for a human now if you're unverified as of now, again, fluid situation, you can only, only, only see 800 posts per day. And if you are new but unverified, you get 400 views of posts per day. Now, he's changed this rate multiple times. They're saying, well, maybe you'll be able to see 10,000 views per day if you're verified, or 10,000 posts per day if you're verified, and then 1,000 per day if you're unverified, 500 if you're unverified. He's changed it a couple times, but the real reason, and we're going to talk about it right now, actually, is because of chatbots and data scraping. Now, Elon is arguing that a lot of these startups in the AI community, artificial intelligence community, they are actually scraping the site, and they're looking at all the interactions between the people, and they're actually creating chatbots with that data. So it makes sense Elon wants to put some limits on that, because these other companies are gaining massive amounts of data for free right now. And also, even if you have... Even if you're on a copious gallon jug of coffee, I don't know how many posts a person could see in a day. I might, when I research the show, I'll look at Twitter for a couple of different cultural parts of the podcast especially, but I might I might see maybe 20 at most. I, I always try to treat social media very carefully because I know it's obviously, well, maybe it's for not, some people, not so obviously, it's an addictive thing, so it's a be a tool and, or a weapon depending on how you're yielding the technology so I usually post about the show and I'll research a little bit for the show and I'll jump off as soon as I can 
Now, Elon actually tweeted specifically, quote, almost every company doing AI from startups to big to the biggest companies, corpor company corporations in America and the earth are scraping vast amounts of data from the site and building a business off of it. Now, it would be a good idea. It would help Twitter. I don't know what his vision is for creating his own proprietary AI chatbots or his AI capabilities. I know he's traditionally been more skeptical on technology, but I almost wonder why doesn't he just charge a copious amount of money for these companies to scrape that data off this platform. Granted, they'll probably push back because they're getting it for free as of you know yesterday, a couple days ago, but that would be another way to bring in additional revenue as his goal is to try and make Twitter a sustainable, long-term profitable business. And I believe as of right now, it's almost getting to the point of breaking even. He's trimmed a lot of fat from the company. He kicked about 5,000 employees to the curb who apparently did not much, probably because most of them were activists who were just censoring people. But the interface is about the same or the user experience is about the same. So you have to ask what were 5,000 people doing every day? And there are many vlogs entertainingly showing you that they don't do much. Now, we'll see how it evolves from there. But other interesting businesses, you have Tesla exceeding their delivery estimates, which of course makes Wall Street, nothing makes Wall Street more jubilant or happy than seeing a company beating their expectations when it comes to revenue, profits, and for vehicle automotive companies, deliveries of units. Now, they reached a record for the second quarter. It was actually a 83% increase from Q2 last year, which is even more impressive. So this fiscal quarter, they completed a little bit more than 466,000 deliveries, and they produced a little bit over 479,000 vehicles. While the analysts on Wall Street were expecting that they would deliver about 445,000. Now, the reason they're able to push so many vehicles right now is partially because Elon's had many more variables when it comes to the initiatives or more accurately, the discounts and the incentives to push the products. I mean, historically, you wind back the clock, you know, 12, 18, 24 months ago, they're really much, it wasn't like a traditional automotive company when they offer, you know, here's a discount if you buy this month. It's kind of a pejorative thing in the automotive community where you think of just some silly guy in like a... I don't want to say a sleazy suit, but a unfancy suit. They talk about, you know, come down to this automotive dealership. We got, you know, $8,000 off in December or something like that, which in my opinion, cheap, cheapens the brand. I understand they're trying to push inventory, but at the same time, it, to me, it just cheapens the brand when they do those types of initiatives. Now, other automotive companies are catching up to Tesla and their EV capabilities. And that's starting to put a little bit more of a threat of competition where traditionally they hadn't had to worry about that. You look back at the clock even earlier in the Tesla career, they had there's such an overwhelming amount of demand. They didn't not not only do they they didn't have to comprehend discounts because people were more than willing to pay six figures for an EV vehicle, but they they just didn't have any vehicles laying around. Now, as an investor, this is good, but I'd also be concerned. Well, they delivered four hundred and sixty six thousand, but they produced four hundred and seventy nine thousand vehicles, and in IT the whole industry and technology has moved to a just-in-time production. I think in terms of the historicals, Dell was probably the biggest company to first adopt this with Michael Dell and his startup, well, used to be a startup, where instead of producing, let's say, a thousand laptops and throwing them in a warehouse and waiting for people to order them, you would have just-in-time inventory where you would wait for someone to order it, then you would produce it, thereby decreasing untold billions in assets that's held up there. Another issue about technology in particular they depreciate quickly just because the cost of memory, RAM, processor, 
they all go down exponentially thanks to Moore's law, thank, uh, thankfully. It's one of those things where if list computers are in a warehouse for one, two, three months, they're becoming less and less valuable, but the costs are still there. You still have to pay that cost to reduce them. Now, my concern with Tesla is they are much more of a technology company than an automotive company. Those vehicles, they don't age well, they don't age gracefully in my opinion, partially because of the value that they just keep putting more and more tech in the vehicles, but it's also a double-edged sword. You don't wanna see a Tesla vehicle on a lot for you know months or you know even a year, because the new the people purchasing the product will probably be concerned, what am I missing out on? It is absolutely correct. They can update many things to the software wirelessly, but there are hardware restrictions as well. So I'd be concerned they don't want to have an overglut or a overstock of these vehicles, which are piece, basically pieces of technology. And you have, even if it's not being charged, you still have to worry about the batteries getting a little bit old and they are getting more robust as time goes on. But that's, there's more variables to worry about than a traditional Chevy Tahoe or a Chevy Silverado, like a Chevy V8 truck, that could be on the lot for quite some time. Every year they add a couple more pieces of tech into it, but overall there's less variables changing those vehicles. Wouldn't be that big of an issue. So time shall tell, but it's an interesting development and it is an achievement for, of Tesla to hit for now. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Elon's friend, Mario Naval, apparently buying Twitter bots to make himself look good. Now, first of all, this is the antithesis of Elon's whole vision for the company. He bought the company, and one of the things that pissed him off the most about Twitter was the unprecedented amount of bots that were on the platform. And you saw this with a lot of social media companies, and there was no incentive for them to crack down on that. Partially because, traditionally, the banks, the investors, the biggest metric they looked for with these technology companies were the adoption rate and how many users they had. Profitability, be damned, that's something we can think about later. And historically, that business model has worked. Amazon took years to become profitable, and now it's one of the most powerful companies on the planet. But when it comes to Twitter, it was so annoying. I remember when I first signed up for Twitter back in the day, at Nick Topping, N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G, if you want to follow my tweets. But... It's one of those interesting things where four out of my four out of the five first messages I got in my inbox were all clearly bots. Now, granted, those bots are probably more polite than most people I know, but still, they don't add value to your life. And Elon actually Elon called Mario Naval a citizen journalist, and many should emulate him. Now. This particular guy set up many of the Twitter spaces when they first debuted that technology. It's basically a live stream, and I joined a couple of them, and they sound pretty interesting, but it just does not look good at all. Now, this is th this story was broken thanks to a company by the, or the Twitter handle by the name of Harsh Bastards, which, pardon the French if they're youngsters listening to this channel right now. Now. They leaked a document in which it was a contract between Mario Nawal as well as Win Solutions, which A minus for marketing. The guy's name was Win, so that's kind of cool. But it's a little disappointing because it's only it's it's two ends, so it's not really it's it's not like it's not truly a win. It's certainly not as cool as topping technologies. No one tops our services, some might say. But I digress. Now, Win Solutions 
coincidentally, as soon as this news story broke, their website just crashed. Or more accurately, they took it off the web because they were ashamed of it. But Win Solutions presented a growth strategy contract to Mario DeWall in which they told him they were going to achieve 100,000 Twitter followers over the course of 12 weeks. Now, you can see Mario's team agreeing to the terms. And the founder, Jared Wynn, also noted that they would do a trial and they would actually front end the cost and resources needed for Mario, any of his clients, that they sent Wynn's way. Now, Mario actually specifically asked, can these be detected? And could they buy bots for Twitter Spaces? Because the algorithm or the fancy tech behind Twitter Spaces, like many things on the internet, the more people that are in those rooms and the more people joining those conversations, the more it's recommended to other people who are not already in those conversations because it's trending, as the youth might say. And from an anecdotal evidence or just empirical evidence, if you just think about your day-to-day -day life, if you see a video where they're seeing millions by millions of views, intrinsically, more people are going to click that video, which is another reason to like take the time to like, subscribe, share, comment, yada, yada to this video. So more and more people will see the views and the comments and they'll be more intrigued. What could it be about? But I digress. Now, we actually bragged the technology company. They said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only can we get you the numbers so that you boot artificially boost your Twitter spaces, but we could also have the bots do claps, sending emojis, follow the speakers, doing retweets. So the technology is getting more and more advanced. Now, Elon should immediately deep, just kick this guy off the platform. Because again, this guy is con consciously making decisions to try to make Twitter the antithesis, the actual opposite of Elon, what Elon bought it for. Elon wanted to, Elon just, his first initiative on Twitter was to get rid of the unknown and the just un almost uncountable vast number of bots on the platform. And this is one of the biggest critiques people said of why they don't like Twitter in addition to the censorship. It's just there's so many bots. So Elon, in my opinion, needs to send a message that this will, this, not only does he not agree with this, but this type of behavior will not be tolerated on his platform because he wants to be the platform to be for people. Although it is 2023, maybe bots are people. I don't know that that might be the next trend. Bots are people too. I don't know. Time shall tell. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have the Parkland police officer who cowardly didn't confront the shooter found not guilty. Now, given the precedent of the previous court cases, one should not be too surprised, but I think it's worth reviewing to give everyone kind reminders. Now, this particular officer was known as Scott Peterson. He was the Parkland High School officer. So think about that. He is dedicated to the school. His only job in life is protect those children and teachers. So he signed up for the job. He was stationed on-prem, on-site. His only job is to protect them. And he acquiesced from all responsibility. During the Parkland massacre, he did nothing. Calling that disgusting and calling that lack of action disgusting or abhorrent, cowardly, it doesn't doesn't adequately it does words can barely comprehend or barely express my disgust with his decision. And some might say, you might be scared too, you know, he's unknown variables. Yeah, but it's also the job he chose. 
I'm sure many people, I'm sure many average people would be scared to death. But that's probably a reason not to sign up for that job. And it's also you have the Allen, Texas police officer, which we'll cover in a, in a probably day or two. The audio for his encounter leaked, or rather, is gained. And you heard he was scared shitless. But he did the man, he manned up, as some might say, and he, he went and stopped the threat. Now, one of my favorite quotes is John Wayne says, being courageous, or courage, rather, is saddling up knowing that you're still afraid. And the police officer in Allen did it in spades, some might say. He was scared to death, but he confronted the threat and he stopped it. Scott Peterson is the antithesis of bravery and that other officer. And because Scott Peterson did nothing, he was initially charged. And the parents of the children who had passed all too soon charged him, I think appropriately. So he was charged with the failing to confront the Parkland gunman who opened fire back in 2018 during a massacre, which led to 17 people dying, of which 14 were students. Now, as to why he was completely exonerated, oh, I'm sure it's a fancy court term, but he's not charged. He's innocent, although morally, I don't know how I don't know how he could sleep at night because morally he is as guilty as sin. Now, during the court case, it was brought that the prior engagements, which again proved my point of long term, that police have no duty to protect you. It's not their, it's not their job, and technically isn't. And talking about specific court cases, you have the Supreme Court case in 1989 where you have DeShaney versus Winnebago County in which social services concluded that there's, and the Supreme Court actually concluded that social services have, quote, the state has no constitutional duty to protect Joshua against his father's violence, unquote, which was the subject matter of that particular case. Now, you also have the case of 2005, Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, which again made to the United States Supreme Court. Now, in that case, you had a lady suing the police to fill for failing to protect her from her abusive husband who had violated his restraining order, abducted and killed their three children. Again, the United States Supreme Court ruled that the police had no duty to protect. A kind reminder that it is up to you to protect yourself, your family, and your friends. That is the truth, which is all more concerning that the government is looking to disarm millions upon millions of Americans and the people who are dumb enough to believe them say, oh yeah, the police will protect you. Every court case shows they have no legal, they, they have no legal stance or no, nothing's going to force them to do that. And this just goes to show you that police officer in Parkland did nothing and he was not punished at all. And knowing how times are, he'll probably, if, if he's not forced to retire, which I can't imagine him going back to work, he'll get probably a full pension or maybe he'll just get paid leave for 20 years. Very little consequences depending on your political affiliations or the situation it would seem. So it's one of those things where not a very happy ending. A lot of the parents are very, the parents of the deceased children on, are online, they're speaking, they're discussed with the current situation as they should. And of course this officer is jubilant, jubilant he was happy as a, he is relieved that he was, you know, just got off scot-free. Although morally, he'll he'll forever be known as a coward. And I have no sympathy for those types of men.
And again, a kind reminder, always be prepared and to always know that you need to do your duty. And time shall tell to see. Maybe this, maybe this wakes some people up to those facts and they'll realize, well, it's probably not a prudent decision to vote for laws that will disarm people and civilians when we're shown time and time again, police are also human. They can't be by you 24-7 protecting you. And also, they have no, they have no legal reason to do it. So, as I always say, time shall tell, but justice was not served, my three cents. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have California raising the gas prices and the gas taxes again. The latest gas increase went on July 1st. That tax is going up four cents per gallon. It's disgusting. My three cents, my two cents is only going up to three cents. I'm not charging four cents. I mean, that's double inflation. I know it's 40 year high inflation, but geez, which means right now the price, the, the highest gas tax in the U.S. is actually in Pennsylvania, but for California, it's 54 cents per gallon. And we'll soon now. So now after that passes, 58 cents per gallon. Imagine being 58 cents per gallon, just going to the government. Every time it's not like most people aren't driving motorcycles or riding motorcycles. You got SUVs, cars with 10, 20, 30 gallon tanks. And every time you fill up, you got to pay that. Now, this auto increase was due to a bill that was passed called Senate Bill 1, which, real original California, marketing F minus. Now, Senate Bill 1 was signed into law in 2017 and included an incremental raise in the fuel excise tax every year. And <laughs> I, I haven't tried stand-up comedy. I might, I might one of these. I, I should as a bucket list thing. So this is just a joke. This is what California claims. I try not to laugh too hard. They claim that <laughs> they claim the tax goes to money to fix potholes, rebuild roads, build and fix uh, bridges, as well as public transportation. That, that's what the state claims the money goes to. And yet, if you've ever been to some areas of California, it's a third world country. Shout out to San Francisco, which more businesses have left than I can possibly count in the past 12 months, especially. And I always challenge people, name me one company has moved to California in the past five years. One. No one can name it. Yet, I can name hundreds of companies that have moved to Texas and Florida in particular. But, as I always say, you get what you vote for, and those states have voted to have more business-friendly initiatives. Also, having no income tax is pretty darn nice. But they're full. You shouldn't come. Joking, obviously, kind of. But, yeah, 58 cents per gallon. Now, they did a little research so that they, av- they found that the average cost of self-serving gas in L.A. County last Friday... $4.89 per gallon. And keep in mind, this is the dog crap unleaded from gasoline from California. Which is the worst. Jay Leno has a consistent bit with his automotive channel. Well, I'll call Jay Leno's garage where they talk about trying to fill up the cars with petrol in California. And he says it's so weak you can't even light it by throwing a match at it. Which, it's a joke. Calm down, people in the comments. But it is garbage gasoline. Now, a lot of people wonder... Pennsylvania historically has the highest gas tax in the United States, but California has the most expensive gasoline in the United States. I did some research, and the reason is twofold. Not only is there a tax, but 
there are only two or three refineries in the United States, and they actually are in California, I believe, that can make gas to California emission standards. So that's maybe not a monopoly, but a duopoly or triopoly. There's only three places that can make your special gasoline for California. That's the reason it's the most expensive gas in the United States. So it's not just the tax, it's also the increased regulations and the lack of competition that drives up the cost as well. And of course, they always want more money. So the California have noted, oh yeah, we're gonna ban EV vehicles because we want our infrastructure to fail again. Oh. Is that a joke? Oh no, 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 it's not a joke, it's, it's reality. The current infrastructure is failing. There's blackouts all the time and brownouts all the time in California. And they actually beg people, please do not charge your EVs during the last outage. And yet they want, I believe it's 2035, all gas cars will be banned in California. Also gas generators, gas lawnmowers. So when your house gets turned, your lights turned off, you'll have no way to power it too, because you won't have a generator. You're not allowed to, if you're an average American in California, which that might be, a, saying the word American in California, that might be a contrary, contradictory statement, but I digress. Now, because they noticed that more and more people are using EVs, they thought, well, we need, we like taxes. Let's do, an, let's do a usage tax. So that way they can have more taxes. So just if you drive your EV vehicle on the road, they're gonna charge you more taxes, even though you're paying 60, 100, 150, 290,000 for the, there's a Lucid Air Sapphire Banana Falcon, whatever they call the top trend line for that EV luxury sedan. So they're gonna have additional taxes. So if you do switch to EV, you'll have to pay another usage tax, usage tax, which I would love to see where this, all of this money actually goes because it certainly doesn't seem to go where they claim it to be. But I digress, more good news for California. Now, other interesting political news, you have senators calling on action to take on fentanyl, both on the left and the right. Now, this is coming from Senator J.D. Vance, who's a Republican from Ohio, as well as Sherrod, who's a Democrat from Ohio. When asked for comment, Vance told NBC News, quote, we're not going to invade China because they're sending fentanyl to our country. We can increase tariffs and extract massive economic cost. I think the Biden administration should be doing just that, unquote. Now, Vance's Democratic counterpart, Sherrod Brown, she also agreed, noting that, quote, I don't know if we could quantify the dollars and the wealth that pro that produces for China. I wouldn't be surprised if that that's what they're actually doing. I think it's important, it's important that you know that we hit them, unquote. So there are... In terms of political good news, there usually isn't much. It's I'm trying to think of a, it's like, kind of like that book, the series of unfortunate events, which is a child a children's book series, but it's about an orphans and they just have obviously the most unfortunate events. And like the first page of the book is if you don't like depressing books, put this down. Which hilariously, I actually know a couple of people who did. But when it comes to politics, it usually is every time you turn the page, it's just like oh, I'm disappointed. Oh, more bad news, more taxes, less rights. So it's usually pretty bad, and usually just Republicans and Democrats just fight each other seven days a week. Now, interestingly enough, having a little bit of bipartisan support to go after this huge fentanyl issue, which from a political move, which I would think would be more prudent for more, politicians love easy wins or virtue signaling, whatever you want to call it. How easy would it be just to join this bill or just to join these initiatives say, 
yeah, I agree. Let's put a bill go. Let's put a bill going together. Let's put some increased tariffs on China. Let's increase the resources we're putting towards it. I can't think of anyone who would. Well, actually, no. I take it back. I know some people who would vote against that just because they love China and they don't care about the U.S. But I would think from a political move on the chessboard, that'd be a brilliant move. Why not? And in fact, you have some presidential nominees bringing up the topic as well. So you have former U.S. President Donald Trump, and when asked for comment about the situation, he actually noted he was had a couple ideas of sending special forces and using cyber warfare to target cartel leaders if he's elected in 2024. He also has had a long-term stance on actually proposing a death penalty for drug dealers, which some would say would be harsh, but others would say would be certainly a way to address the issue and de-incentivize de the whole ecosystem of illicit drugs. Now, I also think it'd probably be helpful to actually put some more barricades between the United States and the other countries. Right now, the ecosystem of this poison known as fentanyl is you have China making the raw materials for the, so the actual, the chemicals and the components for it. And traditionally they'll ship it over to Mexico. That's where they synthesize it and they put it together. And I think they put it in pills. They have machines and people who actually create the end pro the product for the end user. And then they of course sneak into the United States where it's distributed to communities all over the United States and poison destroys communities and cause more, causing more deaths than people would like. So, in terms of the political movement on the chessboard, pretty good idea by Mr. Vance and uh, Ms. Sherry Brown. And hopefully there's more support around this issue because there are countless Americans dying from this poison. And I don't see, I don't see a downside of putting some extra tariffs on them because you're not seeing a lot of, you don't really see China trying to put a bottle cap on this or trying to slow down this stuff. Because of course, right, it's profitable for them. And hopefully... They'll be able to come together, get some going. Other interesting political news, you have Gerardo Rivera quitting Fox News. And he claims he was actually fired from The Five, which is one of their talk shows. Now, Gerardo was with Fox and Friends for about 23 years. Jeez Louise. And he noted that he was quitting after he was fired from the late afternoon panel show. When asked for comment, he said, quote, Bumpy day on, North, on the North Atlantic anyway. I got fired from The Five, so I quit The Fox. So I quit Fox. After 23 years, tomorrow Fox and Friends could be my last appearance on the network. Thank you for the memories. Hmm. Now, Fox, I think the kind of mask is falling when it comes to Fox News. More and more people are starting to realize their actual intentions or lack thereof. A lot of people are realizing how duplicitous and uh, how much of a charlatan Rupert Murdoch is. He's the current man in charge. And Fox News proclaims to be conservative media. But conservatives are finally waking up to the fact of, oh, dear God, no, they're, they're, they are not. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, the head of Fox, like, he's, a, he's an atheist. That should have been a big red flag right there. If you're someone who's conservative, you think Fox News is conservative. The lead guy is an atheist. Also, Rupert Murdoch, you have, what's nice the way of saying, respected sources close to him. They noted that the day that Trump lost the election, Rupert Murdoch was jubilant and happy. Saying that he even is quoted saying, We did it. Another big red flag. They also fired the top, their top anchor, Tucker Carlson, who's the only, he was the only interesting person on the damn show or the channel. He's the only one who actually brought different opinions. Everything else was just Diet CNN. You'd see the, pretty much the same opinions everywhere. The only interesting thing about Fox News was Tucker, and they fired him. 
Now, we'll see how many more people, top news anchors, they fire from the network. But many of them are, some people are saying that maybe Rivera was left or asked to leave because of his criticism. Because he criticized former Fox News after Tucker was left. I don't, I don't know if that'd be enough just for, to criticize him firing him. I think you just had. I think it's a bigger trend of Fox trying to push everyone out. Maybe just consolidate their whole ecosystem or cut their cost. But it certainly seems like a foolish thing to do. And I think Gerardo, Gerardo, Mr. Rivera was more left on Fickle Isle, I believe. So even more mysterious. I'm not sure why Fox is doing this. Nevertheless, it seems like the traditional conservative political news channel just is decreasing day after day after day. And we'll see if you're able to pick up from that nosedive, but I'm skeptical. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have SiriusXM to shut down Stitcher. Now, Stitcher is a popular podcast app that's founded back in 2008 by Noah Chinook, Mike Gaffrey, and Peter DeVrod. And they host one of the best podcasts out there, The Topping Show. We're on the Stitcher. Now, thankfully, once they shut down, we're still going to be on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a couple other ones I can't pronounce. Now, Stitcher, from the, from the actual formation of the company, was very much focused on podcasting as that whole industry just exponentially is getting more and more popular. And Spotify... They're probably the leader right now, but Sirius is trying to adapt. I mean, Sirius used to be two separate companies. Sirius bought XM, or rather they came together to form one giant network. I think they're all, they're really only known for Howard Stern. I mean, when you think about what do people know Sirius XM for? It's Howard Stern, and he's, I'm trying to think, is there, I mean, I, I wouldn't be this insulting to say he's washed up, useless, and a political hack. I, I, cert, I certainly would not make that joke about Howard Stern being as wise as he is as he looks, but some might. Now, it looks like SiriusXM bought Stitcher for $325 million back in July of 2020, and that gave SiriusXM access to the creators who had exclusivity contracts with Stitcher. So that was smart, but Stitcher, they've been around since 2008. There's a lot of people who love the app. I use it myself. And it sounds like they're just gonna shut it down completely to push everyone onto the Sirius XM app. Which, how many people even know they have an app? Like 18 people, maybe? I certainly didn't know they existed. I mean, when I was, I mean, I look at the downloads for all these shows and I talk to my friends who do podcasts and what are the top platforms people use for podcast cons consumption, it significantly would always be Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Those are usually the top four. I don't know anyone who uses SiriusXM anecdotally from my life experience, talking to my friends and family. It's just, I don't know. So maybe, I know why they're doing this, but I still think it's a business blunder because Stitcher had a better brand reputation for, for podcasting. People love the app. And how many of them are really going to go over to and migrate to the SiriusXM app? I'm just going to use Spotify more which I only downloaded because Joe Rogan had that exclusivity contract when they hired Joe Rogan. Brilliant business decision. That was a business brilliance for Spotify to get that contract with Joe Rogan. But to have Stitcher just go away is going to... I'm not going to extrapolate and say it's a sad thing for the podcast community. 
I'm just saying in terms of the brand and the business, for Sirius to get room is just ridiculous. They had access to all the top talent there. They had those exclusivities. So they were making an ROI already and they were reaping the benefits. But to kill the brand after all these years, that's, that's a business blunder of the day, bar none. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Don't forget to take the time to like, subscribe, and comment. We have a goal of trying to get up to 3,000 subscribers in July. We really appreciate all of your help. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.